Well, again, good morning and thank you very much for uh, inviting us. Um, it's lovely to see so many friendly faces um, from not such a long time ago. Um, and these glasses are one of the things that have changed in the last few years. I can no longer read without them. Ah, here we go. Um, so what I was going to talk about was the, the, the work itself the, the, uh, that we went to do, the Bible translation work. Now, it's a very difficult thing to think uh, of a very focused reading. If someone says, think, get a Bible verse that talks about Bible translation, well, that's not such, such an easy thing to do. You have a shop. Um, the, uh, the, the verse I like to use is simply that of the Great Commission, because uh, Bible translation is really to do with making disciples. Um, in the Great Commission, Jesus told his disciples to go and make more disciples, and not just converts, but disciples. Um, disciples who are to learn to obey Jesus, as, as he said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then in turn, they would make yet more disciples and teach them to obey what Jesus commanded. And this seems to be in the great project of making us like, uh, to be like God. Paul told us to be imitators of God. And in following Jesus, that's one of the ways that we can begin that high calling. And so Jesus' wish is to have generations of disciples, learners, followers. And you, that's where you and I are. If we're believers in Jesus, we're not just people who are saved, who put our feet up and wait to go to heaven, but rather we are people who are trying to change, to, to, to change by learning about what Jesus was like, what he said, what he taught, and to trying to follow it. So, Bible translation is a, an aspect of helping people to be disciples. That's really where it fits in. This is part of the discipleship. Now, how does this apply today in Africa? Um, the, the European um, exploration into Africa all began really about the 1880s, not that terribly long ago. Um, Really, uh, colonization only began when, uh, for example, my grandfather was born. It was really only happening about then. It isn't that long ago. And the first missionaries, uh, of course you had the missionary explorer, David Livingstone, a bit earlier, but really focused, organized missionary work really only began in Central Africa something like 120 years ago. Um, and the church began to be, uh, the gospel began to be preached the Bible translation began not long after that. If you ever visited Kampala in Uganda and go to the museum, you'll see behind a glass case one of the early Luganda translations that was made just around the turn of the 19th to 20th century. So that, that work all began around about then. The time, for, at least for this country, for Uganda, uh, uh, the time for evangelists to go from Europe and America is long since passed. Also, the time for pastors to go has long since passed. What is it that we can do to help? And really, uh, what we can do is, uh, where we fit today, is in trying to, to support the church that is already there. Now, if, 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 you, if you were to go to Uganda and look around on Sunday morning, you would see that far more people go to church there than go to church here. Quite a reverse. 
But if you begin to learn about the church, you see that they do need a lot of help and they do need a lot of support. And one of the, the ways to do it is to do it through Bible translation. This, this is one of the needs. And hence that's where it fits. It wouldn't have been right to go and try to proclaim the gospel. Not in most places anyway, because there are people there already who will do it much better than any, anybody from here can do it. Whenever we went, uh, Lorna, as I was already explained, went to work as a counsellor. Now that turned out to be a highly valuable work. It was, it was pretty much a full-time job. And uh, uh, was a great help to other Wycliffe missionaries, to missionaries from other organisations and to other expatriate people, allowing people to stay in the field and doing the work that they were called to do. I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I turned out to, to be effectively a project manager um, because you know that's one of the things that you learn to do in engineering and I'd learned to do it and uh, that was the best fit for what I did, for, for what was needed. Um, you might notice from this, uh, this picture here that only a minority there look like blow-ins. You see a few, a few white faces. Most people here are Ugandan people doing the Bible translation. And that in itself is one of the key points to note, that the work is being done by local people. And that's a very good thing. The, the key to fitting best into this sort of work is to see how can uh, an organisation that has an initiative and a thrust and resources, how can it best help the local people, the local church, to do what is needed? And this was a constant um, strategy and a constant thrust of what we were doing. And so most people who were doing the literacy work, the linguistics work, and the actual Bible translation were actually mother tongue speakers. Um, now, if I can begin to go through these slides, uh, I'll give you the, 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 the kind of the standard stuff. This is a map of Uganda. It's divided up into, not into counties or districts, but into language areas. And if you count them and you look at that table, you'll see there are 38 languages listed. You might note that the national language is English. And that's because it's the only unifying language. Uh, we knew plenty of Ugandan people who could only communicate with each other in English. Um, the language situation is very complicated. It's not like here. It just isn't like here where most people speak one language very, very well and hardly any, anything else. It just isn't like that. Um, what you get are a, lo a lot of languages that are quite large, spoken by a large number of people, the majority languages, and then you get a fair size scattering of very small languages. Now, of all of these, um, as I mentioned earlier, some of the Bible translation began uh, very early in the mission work. And um, the large languages tended to be supported by the Bible Society. So, in fact, in terms of people covered, the Bible Society, uh, to be honest, does more work than Wycliffe. But Wycliffe has a special niche in that there remain many small languages, spoken by, let's say, typically, 20,000 people to 100,000 people, uh, where the language is unwritten, where simply slapping on um, uh, the English alphabet would not be a good alphabet, and where it's better to have a, more, a much more scientifically produced alphabet. Um, for those people, there remains a big need. Um, 
our organisation worked in the neighbouring country just to the south, Tanzania, where the need is even greater. Um, and the, the aim, in a way, is to, in a sense, colour in each of these. Say, OK, got that one done, tick, you know, and then, and then see if you can go on to the next one. Uganda's not doing too badly, but Tanzania is a, is a huge task that remains for Tanzania uh, just next door. We worked, uh, whenever we, we got there, we, Wycliffe, uh, worked um, on four languages. And, uh, uh, and last year, we, we started working on another two. Now, I'll quickly go through just some of the details about that. Um, first, to say this, that by and large, we tried to get a local team of people. And this team is a typical team of six people who were working. Uh, as you see, there are uh, five men and one woman, two translators, four literacy workers. And between them and their advisors, they will have produced a new alphabet. And this particular team is now more than halfway through the New Testament. Getting on great, actually. And they've produced many small publications in the local language. And these will be the first things that have ever been written in this language, ever. Because there was no alphabet before this. So typically, we'll have worked with a team like this and uh, organised their, their, their plans, their resources, their their uh, budgets, all those kinds of things. Uh, there's training. Uh, we would try to train. This was a, a finance training course because people have budgets and they need to know how to manage them. Uh, the, the lady speaking there was a, a, an English Wycliffe missionary who was an accountant during the course. She was based in Kenya. We uh, trained uh, people how to teach literacy to people who'd never learned to read and write or people who were converting from literacy in a big language to their own language or teaching teachers to teach the mother tongue. Uh, there's a, a Bible checking workshop. Some translation drafts are being checked. The chap in the stripy t-shirt is a Dutchman. Uh, the lady in the, in the white uh, blouse is an English woman. They're both translation consultants. The chap in the purple, that's Sam, has since become a translation consultant, which is a great move. And. Uh, uh, this was an event where we had to fly to quite a remote language group where they were, um, I think it was Thessalonians they were, they were um, commissioning a, a new part of the New Testament. Uh, big, 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 big public events. Everyone is very, very excited when a new part of the Bible is ready. Not like here, I should think. And there's another example. There's a, a Muslim gentleman from one of the languages having a look at the Gospel of Mark, freshly produced and able to read something in the Bible in his own language for the very first time. The fact that he's Muslim, of course, is highly significant. But there isn't the same antagonism between Muslims and Christians in Uganda, thankfully, as there may be other places. Um, this gentleman here is Sam Ubala. Um, Sam, when he was a teenager, was converted to Christ through a pastor who asked him to translate an English Christian tract into his own language, Liguere. And Sam, in translating it, became a Christian. And then he became interested in Bible translation. Now he and that pastor tried to do some of it. Because they hadn't the training, that ran into the sand a little bit. Um, but when Wycliffe came, Sam, through a course of events, became a member. Now this is one of the people who I would say with the greatest confidence, God has called to this work. Um, Sam is God's man for his own language. And whenever you meet him, whenever you learn what he's up to, to say, how can I help you, Sam, is a great thing. And this is what we were able to do. In, in, in due course, he's now become a, a translation consultant. And uh, he will be able to check and advise other translations as well. 
And there's the, there he is himself, the first time, I think that was the Gospel of, no, that's the, the book of Jonah. Uh, the first scripture, the first writings ever in the Liguari language. And you can see from his smile what a, an event that is. It's a tremendous event. Now last year we started two new projects. I thought I would just talk a little bit about these to try to illustrate what it's like to work in the African context. Um, uh, there's a people in the northeast of Uganda, a very beleaguered, very remote people, very poor people who live right on the border with Kenya and who are surrounded by quite hostile tribes. Um, they live in little settlements like these, made of, uh, these are huts and fencing made of sticks, um, in quite, quite a primitive lifestyle. Uh, this group is called the Ik. They're linguistically very isolated and uh, Wycliffe decided, we decided that this was a, a, a people that ought to have their own Bible. Very little Christian work done among them so far, that's beginning to start. And uh, you get to it, unless you have a very long and dangerous drive, you get to it like this on an MAF airplane to a bit of flattened, <laughs> flattened scrub. <laughs> There's not too many fences or air traffic control here, absolutely nothing, just, just that. And, uh, the people live in, uh, well, this is a clearing. Uh, a new Pentecostal church had been built by a local Pentecostal group. And um, uh, there's a young fellow, another young, young girl, I think, with her mother. And for this people, we recruited a young American couple, um, uh, Schrock, a Mennonite couple, uh, Amber and Terrell Schrock. Amber's a nurse, Terrell's a linguist very capable linguist. And they went one year ago to live up there, and very remote. Now this is a super couple. Later on, I'm gonna say, this is one of the couples to pray for. Uh, they have already spent a lot of, spent months analyzing the sounds of the language and produced a proposed alphabet. So that's, that's quite quick, that's very good. Super speed. And uh, in working with the community, they will hopefully, and the Ugandan government, they will agree the alphabet. And, um, shortly after that begin work on Bible translation, hopefully with uh, local people who can help. But among the ick, it's hard to get highly educated people. And so, uh, so it's likely they will live there themselves for quite a long time doing the work themselves. And that's one model. That's one way of working. Now another group, only really about 300 miles away, uh, lives on the northeast of Uganda. Uh, in bordering Sudan and Congo. And uh, this group, let me just show you. Uh, this gentleman here in the blue shirt is Isaac Anguyo. Now, Isaac's a, a fine fellow. Isaac uh, was from a Muslim background. It's a, quite a Muslim group, this. And he became a Christian in his late teens. And later on, uh, uh, he's a businessman. Uh, as he progressed through his Christian life, he went to a Christian conference, I think, in somewhere in, in Amsterdam, perhaps. And there he felt called to create his own mission organization, to work to his own people. And he now employs about 70 or 80 people doing all kinds of little services, little Christian services for his community. The idea being to reach out in many dimensions to the Muslim people among whom he lives. And one of the things he decided to do was to translate the Bible. Now this was for us absolutely super because what you have here is a local initiative to translate the Bible. People who needed nothing from Wycliffe other than advice and consultancy. And this is quite different from working with the ick. You see, this is an entirely different model. This is a model we like, 
but of course it depends on the social conditions. Here you have a large amount of people who have got the education and the background and the resources to do the work for themselves. And so you work differently with, with such a group. And you see, this is a, you know, that's an uh, airport fire, uh, fire engine behind. Very different from the, the airstrip among the ICK. And this organization has their own buildings, their own library. These are their translators and literacy workers. It, it may look basic compared to the office you might work in, but let me assure you, it's very advanced compared to uh, the, the ICK people. And uh, we were agreeing, people in Uganda like to do things terribly formally. We were signing and you know, having quite a ceremony about getting um, a, 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 a contract of how we would work together. But a very happy contract, uh, not adversarial or anything like that. And that was a very happy day, signing up how Wycliffe would help his organisation, which is called Here Is Life. So those are ways in which, um, in, which in Wycliffe we, we work with languages in Uganda. Um, I won't take a, much more time. There, this is, Bible translation is not always a simple question. Um, sometimes people say to us, uh, wh why for such a small group don't you just teach them a big language like English or Swahili or something? And that question isn't as naive as it sounds. There are times when it doesn't make sense to to put the effort into some languages. Um, an example that we, we heard of is that one language had reduced in a community to, to a point where only two elderly people still spoke the language, and apparently they were not on speaking terms. So the language didn't get, get, get used very much. To, to start a language like that wouldn't be very, uh, wouldn't be very smart. Um, but um, between there and languages that are quite large and very vibrant, there remains a continuum. Uh, there are other complications you meet when languages can be very similar and people do not want them to be blurred. They want their own identity, you know, and they want their own Bible, even though their vocabulary may be next to identical to the neighboring language. How do you deal with that? These are part of the problem one has in, in, in um, deciding which languages to adopt and which not to adopt. Um, it's, it's, uh, there are no course uh, straightforward or simple answers, uh, but sometimes we're asked about this. What in Wycliffe we try to do is always to put, to be wise about what one does and not to spend a lot of time doing projects for their own sake. But there remain many, many languages that are small, vibrant, and for people who have no alphabet, no literacy, no Bible, they are cut off from um, all kinds of things, not least cut off from the Bible, and to enable literacy, linguistics, and scripture among them is a tremendous service that you can offer. So this is a very motivating work, a very valuable work, and remains a place where European and North American Christians and other places in, in richer countries can make a big impact and a big help to, to the, the developing church. So thank you very much for listening. I might say also, uh, just in closing, thank you so much for the, the prayers and, uh, and support that has been for us over the last few years. We really uh, uh, thank you for it and really appreciate it. And um, I'm sure the interest in Wycliffe may continue on further too. So thank you very much. Good job.